What I'm going to do is give you a little arithmetic test. But it is so simple, you could do it in your head. But the little piece of paper provides, uh, you want to do it in paper instead of just doing it up here. Uh, you'll, have a, you'll have the procedure. You'll know what I'm talking about in a minute. But you'll have it written down. So uh, <clears throat> it's very simple. What I'll tell you while he's bringing the papers around. I hope you've got a pencil or a pen because everybody uh, needs to do it. <clears throat> what I want you to do is to take a number from one to nine, either one or two or three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. Now, this would work for any number, but keeping it down to those little numbers, it will make it a little bit simpler. <clears throat> you don't need to tell anybody what your number is, but when I get through, I'm going to tell you what your last number is. I mean, I'm not a magician, but uh, that's why you might want to write it down. You could try this on somebody yourself. <clears throat> Okay, here's the way we're going to do it. Pick out a number. It's your own number. doesn't matter which number it is. First thing you want to do with that number is to multiply it by 6. For example, if you picked out 7, 7 times 6 is 42. See where I'm going? So whatever your number is, multiply it by 6. You got that? Now, <clears throat> add 12. Add 12 to whatever your number was, is. You got that? Now divide that number by 3. You got that? Now subtract 2. You got that? Now divide that number by 2. Now, I want you to subtract your original number. You know, the one you started with. Subtract that now. <clears throat> you got it? Okay. You got number one, right? You got number one? Okay. Did you do it? What number you got? One. Do you have any other number than one? <laughs> Everybody should have a number one if you did it right. If you didn't get a one, you need to recheck your figures. <laughs> I don't know how it works. <laughs> Whatever your number was that you began with, you're going to wind up with a one. And what you did was you just added, subtracted, multiplied, and divided. You know, these four factors of arithmetic. Well, what I want to do now is to go from there and to notice how often the Bible speaks about adding and subtracting, taking away from, diminishing, dividing, and multiplying. And I hope that just got your attention. For example, when we turn to Acts 2, verse 41 and also verse 47, 41 tells us that uh, as many as received his word were baptized and they were added and there were about 3,000 souls added unto them. 
Peter's the preacher. And as many as received his word obeyed. That's one way you can tell when a preacher is going to preach. And you say, well, how many is going to be baptized? Well, as many as receive his word. That's the way it worked on the day of Pentecost. But what did the Lord do? When they obeyed the gospel, the Lord saved them and added them. To whom? Well, to the church, verse 47. The Lord added daily, added daily to the church such as were being saved. And so we can see how the Bible speaks about adding. Jesus also used that term in Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be, that's right, added unto you. And the Lord's just been talking about not being anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. He says, that's these things, all of these things. If we just put the Lord and his will first in our lives, he has promised to add all these things that we need to live daily into our lives. That's an addition. When we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, starting about verse 5. It says, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, supply virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, patience or temperance, and in your patience, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these Christian graces are yours, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these graces that we're to add to our lives is blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten this old cleansing from his sin, having forgotten the cleansing from his sins. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now there's the promise. The conditions the Lord requires of us is to add to our faith these Christian graces of virtues. We need them. We're to grow. We're to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. So we're to add those things to our lives. One other example we'll give, there are a number of examples of adding, subtracting, and so forth. Deuteronomy 4 and 2 uses both of them. Moses said to the children of Israel, Thou shalt not add unto the word which I command you this day, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of Jehovah thy God which I command you. Well, since we're talking about adding, let's just look at that first. There follows the Ten Commandments. And then other commandments. This is an introduction to God's first covenant. And God's the, the author. He says, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. So don't add or diminish or take away from my commandments. That's what's necessary. Now, when we turn over to Proverbs 30 and verse 6, we find the same thing. Don't add, don't take away from. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. 
John was testifying to everyone who read the words of this book of prophecy that they're not to add to the words of this book. If they do, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book, and we'll notice the rest of that in a minute. So God has given us all that he wants us to observe. And because he's the author and has all authority whenever, we're not to add or take away from. We have folks in the religious world today who have for centuries been adding sprinkling. But the Lord didn't authorize that. God never commanded sprinkling as a substitute for immersion. There are those who have added many things like uh, titles, different offices for the Lord's church that he didn't authorize. It's come from man. We're not to add in that case to his word. Well, let's look at some examples then about taking away from or diminishing, subtracting. And we'll start with where we were just now. Moses said, don't add to the commandments that I'm giving you from God and don't take away from them. Don't diminish, don't subtract them. And that's the word or expression that's used in Revelation. Don't add, don't take away from these words. Take away is to subtract. And that's the expression that's used in that scripture. We're not only to, not to add to God's word, we're not to diminish or take away from what God has authorized. And can you imagine how many things that have been taken away from in the, our religious world even today? Those who do not observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week as the church in Troas did, Acts 20 and verse 7, have taken that away from God's plan. Maybe they do it once a month, maybe it's quarterly, some folks just once a year. But the Lord's pattern is every first day of the week, we're to remember what the Lord did for us. Dying for our sins, that he's coming again. Some folks will say, well, if you do it too often, it becomes sort of like a routine. Well, does that mean they cut down on their singing? Do they cut down on their praying? Do they cut down on these other things that become, could become routine? That's just an example of some who are taking away from God's word. What about baptism? Some will take away baptism when the Bible commands it. Peter commanded them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be baptized, Acts 10.48. But then there are those who say, well, yeah, we'll, we'll baptize, but uh, it's not necessary. You're not being baptized to be saved or for the remission of sins. Isn't that taking away what God has ordained? Not only is the action ordained, but the very purpose is ordained and they go together. It is an immersion, and it is an immersion for the forgiveness of sin. And when we take away one or the other, we're disobeying God. And you can look at a number of the items in God's plan for the church. We're not to add to them. We're not to take away from them, just to do God's will. In Exodus 5, verses 8 and 9, 
We have an interesting instance where this is done. This is when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And they were given, they were made slaves. Much task work. They had to build these supply cities. And Moses came along and asked Pharaoh if they could take off about three days and go in the wilderness and sacrifice unto God. And Pharaoh got the idea that uh, evidently they're not being worked hard enough. Don't slacken the work. Just make it harder for them. They've had to make their own bricks. And they had so many they had to make. But the Egyptians were helping them. They were providing the straw that they included within the mixture. Pharaoh said, let them get their own straw, but do not diminish, subtract, take away from the quota that we set in the beginning for the number of bricks that they need. And so they had to do both. He would not diminish or take away from what was necessary. Let me give you another example. This is found in Jeremiah. Chapter 26. We remember Jeremiah living at the time the children of Israel were going into bondage. He lived before that, but uh, he's still living. Nebuchadnezzar comes along and takes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there are the kings that were taken off. Well, about this time we have Jehoiakim, who was the son of Josiah, reigning. And God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go and I want you to preach my word in the temple, the house of Jehovah. And don't diminish a word from what I tell you. Reading from verse 2, thus saith Jehovah, this is in Jeremiah 26. Stand in the court of Jehovah's house, at Solomon's temple, and speak unto all the cities of Judah. Remember the northern have been taken away into Assyrian captivity. So we have Judah, which come to worship in Jehovah's house. Preach all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. It may be that they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith Jehovah, If ye will not hearken to me, to walk in my law which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send unto you, even rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, then will I make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to do all the, uh, to all the nations of the earth. And the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of Jehovah. So Jeremiah did not diminish from the message that God gave him. But you notice in that message there was this threat that if they didn't change their ways, he was going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And it was going to be just like Shiloh. What happened to Shiloh? Well, actually, the Bible doesn't spell it out. But we know something happened to it from this very text here. When we turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, we think this is about when it happened to Shiloh. 
that Eli sent the ark with the soldiers as they were fighting the Philistines. But because of the wickedness of the Israelites, they lost the battle and they lost the ark. And the Philistines kept that ark for about seven months until they wanted to, you know, they just pushed it back. They didn't want it anymore because of the plagues that God sent to them. Well, it was from that time on when the Philistines won, they just went on up to Shiloh. That's where the, the tent or the tabernacle that Moses erected was. That's where the ark had come from. That's where the priests served. That's where Eli was. That's where they went for the annual sacrifices at Shiloh. But God let the Philistines destroy it. And we think it was at that time. That fits in the history of any other time. And he says that's going to happen. Jerusalem's going to happen. That's going to happen to Jerusalem like it did to Shiloh. Well, let's look at some examples now about dividing the word. Or just dividing. Not necessarily just the word. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they were going out of Egypt. They came to this wilderness. And then also they came to the sea, the Red Sea. And they knew that Pharaoh was changed his mind about letting them go and he was following with his soldiers and his chariots. They didn't know what to do. And God said, Moses, stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. And then he was told to lift his rod, his arm, over the sea, and God caused a strong east wind to divide the sea so that there were two walls of water and the land in between was dry and the people, two or three million of them, could cross over on dry land because God divided the sea. Forty years later, he divided the Jordan River in the same way for the people to cross over. So we see God's power being manifested. After they conquered the land, Joshua chapters 13 through 19 tells us that the land was divided up into 12 tribes. Judah was given this area. Reuben and Gad, Manasseh had two parts and so forth. They all had their part. Now they were all children of Jacob, of Israel. We wonder why, you know, they had them in different tribes like that. Well, I kind of think it was because the families were close and the tribes were close. There wasn't much intermarriage going on unless you were a king and somebody that sort of moved about in all the 12 tribes. But he put this tribe here and this tribe here. It was divided after God gave them the land and drove out most of the folks that had lived there before. Also, 1 Timothy 6, there's another idea of dividing. <clears throat> Paul is talking to the folks who had a lot of material possessions. He called them rich. I don't know if they, any of them are as rich as we are today in our society and economy. Charge them that are rich in this present world that they be not high-minded, nor have their hopes set on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. In other words, divide their possessions and share them 
verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on the life which is life indeed. Another version says that they might be generous and willing to share their possessions. Now, this is addressed to us as well as it was to Timothy and to the Christians who lived in the first century. The Lord wants us to be willing to share what we have materially with people around about us that don't have, who need our help. And we have a number of exhortations all through the Bible. The book of Proverbs is full of it. And certainly the New Testament, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. We are to be willing as stewards, that's all we can claim to, to be. I mean, it doesn't belong to me or you. It's God's. It's always been God's. He's just loaning us to us, loaning it to us or they to us, loaning them to us as stewards. And it's found of a steward that he'd be found faithful. So, how are we sharing all of these possessions? Well, that's a good question to keep asking ourselves. We find uh, also another example of division. In 1 Corinthians 1, the church in Corinth was divided. They had five major problems, and the first one that Paul addresses is their disunity. He begins with verse 10 by saying, Now I beseech you, brethren, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfected together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been signified unto me concerning you, my brethren, by them that are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I mean that each one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Well, everyone would have to answer that question, no. But what's Paul getting at with that question? They were divided calling themselves after these men. As good examples as they were, that was being condemned because they were dividing up into little cliques. Let there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfected together in the same mind and in the same judgment, following Jesus Christ. A church divided is one of the worst things that we could have in trying to evangelize. It just takes away from the message of the gospel. When we're preaching a gospel of peace, carrying the banner of the Prince of Peace, we say, come and be a part of the Lord's family where we and all enjoy peace. But that's not always so. And so it becomes us all to, to strive to our utmost, 
to have the spirit of Jesus to be able to be long-suffering, to be patient with others who may not be following Christ as closely as they ought to be. We have a responsibility. God doesn't want his people divided. And when that happens and people see it, they say, no thanks. When you have something to offer me that will build me up and draw me closer to the Lord, then I'll be interested. So we want to keep that in mind. The Lord doesn't want us to divide the church. And the Lord doesn't want us to have a divided heart. There are a number of places where it speaks about, well, for example, the great commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. Now, it said with all, not just most of it. Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in Jehovah with all thy heart and lean not upon thine own understanding. And there's another place. In, um, well, we'll look at a couple more. Matthew 5 and 8, blessed are they that are pure in heart. The Ethiopian eunuch saw this water as he was traveling along in his chariot with Philip. He said, behold, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You remember what Philip said? If thou believest with all thy heart. Not just a little of it. Not most of it. But if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. That's a problem with some folks. When they come to Jesus Christ, they've not fully committed themselves to the Lord. They have a divided heart. It's not consecrated to God and doing all of his will. I think Matthew 6.22 is speaking to this. When the Lord in his, par when his uh, Sermon on the Mount said, The lamp of the body is the eye. And if the eye is single, then the body is full of light. The eye, I think, represents affections. If our affections are single, single-minded, now James speaks about the double-minded man. But if our hearts are committed fully to the Lord, they're not going to be divided. They're going to be single, single-minded. Brother E.R. Harper <clears throat> used to preach a sermon, and he entitled it something like this, or began it by saying, uh, Did your baptism take? Well, I think we know what he's talking about. It's not worded that way, maybe. Did your baptism take? Was it effective? You know. It makes me think about a young lady we had a part in leading her to Christ. She was baptized. And one time, I remember, she was referring back to the time when she was baptized. And when she, she said it, but she said, when I got done. <laughs> when I got done. When, when I was baptized. When I obeyed the gospel. When I was saved, that, that's what she's talking about. But when I got done, and she was serious about it, did your baptism take? Well, not if our hearts were not fully committed to the Lord. 
willing to make the sacrifices that he wants us to make to be one of his disciples, one of his followers. Well, one more point, and that is about multiplying. The Bible speaks in that way. Matthew 14, Matthew 15, both of them speak about two miracles in Jesus' life. He multiplied five barley loaves and two fish and fed over 5,000. That's the men and the women and children. On another occasion, over 4,000. But he multiplied what he had. Multiplication was easy for the Lord. When God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 28, he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Well, Adam and Eve did their part. Today we're told that there are about 5.8 billion people living on this earth at the same time. And that about the turn of the century, it's going to be about 6 billion. Be fruitful and multiply. And man has certainly done that. Another example is found in Deuteronomy 11 and 2. Wednesday night, <clears throat> when we're seeing the films on the Bible lands, and there was a, a Hebrew man being interviewed who had this box on his forehead. And it's very obvious, we could all see it, strapped on with a piece of leather, I guess. And he also showed us another box that he had on his arm. I can't remember, it was above his elbow or below his elbow. The Bible speaks about the hand. But they wanted it on this side because it's close to one's heart, physical heart. So he had both of those on. All of the Pharisees, it would appear, wore these phylacteries in Jesus' day. We don't think Jesus did. We don't think the apostles did. Jesus condemned the way, the motive, not necessarily the wearing of it. In Matthew 23 and verse 5, he said, These folks that do this are just doing it to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. I'll just read it. But all their works they do to be seen of men, for they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. There are two passages in Exodus, two passages in Deuteronomy that are written down, handwritten, pieces of leather. Of course, the leather that they use is of clean animals, not unclean animals, because these are the Jews that still believe that they're under the old law. And they put them in the box. Now, the box they put on the forehead, called a phylactery, is, is divided up into four compartments. And each of those four scriptures is written separately. But the one on their arm is just one compartment, and they're all written together. Why they make that difference, I don't know, but that's the way they do it. They do that to obey this command literally. Deuteronomy, I'll just read from um, 11, 18 through 21. And we can see where they get this practice. 
Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. And they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You know, up here. And ye shall teach them your children, talking of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest in the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thy house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied. And the days of your children in the land which Jehovah swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of the heavens above the earth so that your days may be multiplied but of course I think the Lord was saying teach your children talk about my words keep them on your heart and then you'll live like God wants you to live not just literally near a physical heart pump well we'll stop with one other scripture using multiplication in Acts. We know that when the church was begun on the first day, day of Pentecost, there were about 3,000 souls that obeyed the gospel. We turn over to Acts 4 and 4, it had risen to about 4,000 men. Now, in Acts 9 and 31, we find that the church multiplied. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, being edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit was multiplied. They carried the gospel message wherever they went. People responded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And because they had peace, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They grew, not just numerically in one place, but throughout Judea and Samaria and Galilee. Well, that's a good example for us. If we will follow these exhortations that we find throughout the Bible where he says to add or not add, to diminish but don't diminish, to divide and then not to divide and then to multiply in his way and then we would be pleasing the Lord is there someone here this morning that has not put the Lord on in obedience have not obeyed the gospel that you haven't confessed your faith that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God then could we encourage you to make that confession having resolved it in your heart that you will not continue to live in sin that you'll be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then the Lord will add you to his church. If you're subject to the gospel, won't you come as together we stand and sing?